Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bercher, and this is Apparently Autistic. Again, just trying on some new titles for a potential rebranding. As I really sort of develop this idea about neurodivergence and how I think it might explain things. You know, this is formerly called Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. It's still called Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom to this point. But if I look back at the 155 episodes prior to this one, I can sort of find them, fit them all under either lens. It's either, you know, an introspective approach to asking all kinds of questions that I think are interesting that I just don't think are talked about, or it's a giant parallel about neurodivergence. In this episode, this time, episode 156, I'm calling Autism is Fitness in a Darwinian, in, in a Darwinian Sense, or Autism is Fitness in Darwin's Language. And this links perfectly with what I called, I think in episode 99 or 100, the uniqueness imperative. This idea that life... As, uh, as defined partially by DNA, this coding system that creates everything that there is, uh, you know, the, the, the instructions for every cell and every living thing <laughs> is all coded in DNA. And because of sexual reproduction, and you can see all those episodes about sex, I've done at least five or six of them, you know, describing sort of the evolution of sexual reproduction as opposed to asexual reproduction. Sexual reproduction allows for Diversity, it creates change, right? Each, each individual is different. You have two parents and you borrow DNA from each parent and you put it together and you mess mix it up a little bit and the offspring, the progeny that come out of those matings are different from the parents versus asexual reproduction where you're basically making exact copies. That was selected for, in a Darwinian sense, as being fit, and so now we all reproduce that way. And essentially what happened is life goes on through time and everything is constantly changing. You know, in Darwin's language, the only thing that really matters is change. And everything is adapted, quote unquote, or acclimated or to that change. And so sexual reproduction is a, is a, is a beautiful mechanism to create new things every generation. Some of them are going to work better than the other ones in the new environment, and they're going to be selected for by the environment to continue to reproduce. And some things aren't going to be very well fit in the new environment, and they're not going to reproduce, and they're, those genes are going to be sort of weeded out. That's what people often erroneously call survival of the fittest. But it is fitness. Fitness means you're well-suited for the environment. Non-fitness means you're not. And so I'm simply looking at neurodivergency as an element of this diversity. We're supposed to be unique. We're supposed to have a diversity of neurotypes. Right? We're supposed to all have different capacities to interact with our environment. Some are going to have less, some are going to have more, and some of those are going to be more or less fit. You know, and I think one could argue that if, if, if you're... Well, first of all, let's sort of talk about what I mean by this, this neurotype thing. When one of the words people use when they talk about autism, um, attention deficit disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, probably a lot of things, probably things like, you know, my buddy Eric said, like psychosis or even narcissism can maybe fall into these sort of realms. If you, if you fall into sort of a atypical, you know, we refer to that as sort of saying, well, your nervous system is different. You're a different neurotype. 
you know, and we're and, and of course the the huge mistake here is ever thinking that we were all the same neurologically, right? That was dumb. <laughs> but we are kind of all similar. I used in the last episode the the example of of height. You know, hominid height even doesn't really vary that much. Maybe four to six, four to seven feet, right? You don't have like six inch people and twelve foot people, right? Everything is going to adhere to this sort of Gaussian distribution. It just does. Um, these traits are going to sort of be, uh, they're all going to be on a spectrum. Finger size, amount of body hair, eye color, height, you know, um, fecundity, how many eggs a, a female produces. All of these things are going to be on a continuum, but they're going to have kind of a minimum and a maximum and then an average, right? And the, and, 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 and those statistics, if you took a sample of everything, would follow this kind of bell curve where the things in the middle are kind of all the same and the things in the tails are are, are a little bit different. Hopefully that makes sense. I actually did an episode on the normal curve if you, if you really want to know more about that. Uh, and I think that's what we're looking at here with the neurotypes. And so what I think uh, neurodivergency or autism or any of these things are is basically saying there's a composite of our nervous tissue. And this includes the nerve cells, the synapses, the interactions of all those nerve cells, the sort of tissues that the nerve cells make up, nervous tissue, our spinal cord, all of our nerves and all of our bodies, our brains. You know, so if you think about the, the main ones, you've got our brain, and this is for humans, because they vary greatly throughout the animal kingdom. Our brains, our spinal cord, and our gut. Those are like the main... Um, constructs or, or sort of mechanistic uh, uh, parts of our nervous system. Those things interact and they interact with all the cells. And of course, they interact with all of the other nervous tissue, like in our hands and our fingers and our, and our butts, you know, our toes, our legs, all that stuff is interacting as this one big system. And we sort of refer to that colloquially or sort of, you know, layman's terms as our senses, we can see, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch, uh, whichever one's a smell, whichever one I'm forgetting. The traditional five senses. Some may argue that there's more than that, but we certainly don't understand or can measure any of those things. But let's entertain that, that, you know, the human being is this bag of meat with all these accessory systems and the nervous system is one of them. And so we're all sort of moving through the world after 300,000 years of evolution as thinking, our nervous systems all work kind of the same way. And of course, this is confusing because we are all one. We are all connected. We are all the same, except we're also all individuals with our own unique traits, right? Our own phenotypic, the physical expressions of our genotype. So our genotypes are all different. Our genetic code is different from everybody else by the nature of the very things I just talked about with sexual reproduction, all that stuff. And the expression of that stuff is also different. You know, if you could have two people with exactly the same DNA, and we've done this study in twins that are separated at birth, right? They can actually end up being a little bit different, even though, the you know, so there's this nature versus nurture thing. And now on top of all that, we've discovered what we're calling epigenetics, that we can actually modify our DNA, not just during sex and development, but throughout the course of our lives. The environment in, in which we live and the decisions that we make can actually modify our DNA such that when we then go to reproduce, it's different than it would have been 
had we not gone through those changes. That's crazy. So your genes can also change based on your individual behavior. Wow. Okay. So what were, what all that combined to do says the ways that each individual person interacts with the world is necessarily unique. There are going to be some similarities, but there are also going to be some differences. Now, I believe what we're seeing are those differences. I think prior to sort of modernity, uh, sometime 500 years ago, maybe as early as 200 years ago, we had sort of cultural mechanisms to accommodate or eliminate divergent neurotypes that we considered to be less fit. If people seemed, quote unquote, crazy in my mother's time, you, they put you in a sanatorium. They basically removed you from society, right? I don't know what happened prior to that, probably because we weren't, too, we weren't proud enough about it to write about it in history. I certainly don't know what happened 10,000, 20,000 years ago. Nobody does. But I think we embraced it. I have read some indigenous anthropology work that sort of says these like uh, small people, little people, I almost said the word midget, I'm sorry, but little people um, were, were considered by some tribes to be like super special, like shamanic uh, members of the group. And so I don't think that these differences were always shunned. Uh, I think this might be just an artifact of the life that we live. And of course, also, the type of life that we live with a lack of that connectivity part that I mentioned before, that we're the awareness that we are all one and all different. In the last 500 years, we've sort of given up on the we are all one stuff and, and doubled down on the we are different. And I think that is leading to more difficulties with these sort of divergent neurotypes. And so basically, long story short, that's a fancy way of saying we're getting a lot more anxiety. We're getting a lot more you know, what we traditionally would look at to be um, high needs, level three need level autism. You know, we're getting more and more of this in the culture. And I, and I, and I don't, I can't tell if that's just because it's a different way of looking at it, because we do insist on sort of conforming and pushing people back in line and sort of identifying these people as being weird and, you know, uh, sort of embarrassing them or even shunning them for being that way and using shame as a mechanism of sort of trying to make them more normal. I don't know what's going on with all that. I do think the reason I'm making this shift in this podcast and I feel this movement because it's happening right now you know, circa December 6th, 2023, this awareness that we need to stop trying to make people fit into a prescription of what it means to be human with respect to this neurology that I'm talking about. We need to accept that we're different and recognize that these skill sets that come with this differential um, way of navigating the world might be really helpful and we shouldn't try to reduce it, right? Okay, so a little bit more about that neuro, neurotype idea. So I think people have a differential capacity to interact with their outer world. You know, the individuals in this planet, all 8 billion of us, all have different levels of hearing, different capacities for taste, different vision, you know, all of those things different. We have different brains, we have different spinal cords, we have different gut uh, um, ne- neurology, all of those different parts result in a 
different sort of phenotypic way of interacting with the world. And so I look at the world in a most basic sense as being external stimuli coming up from the environment and from other people and other biological organisms, sending signals that are intercepted by our individual bodies via these senses and processed through these neurotype systems That happens differently for each person, right? You can have the same person, two people sitting in a car, somebody burns out next to you and peels out and the tires squeal. One person is going to experience that as being exceptionally painful, frightening, scary, introduce like a fight-flight response, and the other person is going to think it's hilarious. And another person in the back is going to think it's sexy and like want to go get with that person, I guess, because that's why people do it, right? I don't understand. So that, that's important. That, that all is a very, extremely different kind of system-wide reactions, three different people to the exact same thing. That's all we're talking about. And so if a kid playing with another group of kids doesn't understand and can't figure out how to communicate effectively what they're trying to say in a game and the other kids don't understand and kind of laugh at him, that person might have a a fight-flight-fun-freeze reaction where they freak the hell out and start screaming. And everybody's like, oh, who's the weird kid? Oh, you need to get them in line, whatever, right? We don't understand the way that they integrated those environmental stimuli that most of us would have no problem with. We'd just be like, oh, you said something that was funny, and so they laughed. But, but that may not be the way it feels. And I, and I have been here. I have been in that situation where I cannot get someone to listen to the message that I'm trying to say, and I feel like exploding. And I say this all the time. It is amazing to me that any two people, given what I've said about the complexities of our nervous systems, that any two people can get together and using this like weird language thing that we've created, communicate with one another and both feel that they understand the other person completely and that the other person understands them completely. I honestly do not see how that happens ever. You know, like I, I can't imagine the world's most sophisticated computer model that would, you know, be able to calculate and measure, you know, the, the being heard and the having been heard and the sort of recognition, you know, the accuracy of those two messages being received by both parties. I would guess that that would be a really giant model and that the probability of success is always going to be pretty low. Yet, again, beyond the five senses, right? Somehow people do it. And I think for people in the sort of average zone of however you define this this nervous system thing I'm talking about and whatever you call it, some peoples are going to just line up and be more similar and they're going to have a much higher probability of being able to have that conversation. Like for me, if I this happened to me the other day at a, at a public event for my daughter, the guy next to me like shows me his phone and I totally don't understand what I'm looking at. And he's like, Washington's not doing very good. And I was like, uh, it took me, I, I mean, I literally felt like an idiot because I'm, tr- I'm scrambling in my head to sort of, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And then finally I saw numbers and one was like 28 and one was like 15. I was like, oh, this Washington is a football team and these are scores. And he's trying to communicate to me that he's disappointed because the team that he led. So, you know, maybe three seconds went by, but I was able to compute 
all of that stuff and then spit out what I knew to be an appropriate response instead of being like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. Leave me, whatever, whatever, all the millions of other reactions that could have occurred. Where if it was any number of other men that I know would have instantly known what he was talking about. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, and that's just like a small subset example, you know, that's probably pretty coarse and maybe not the best. Um, but I think, and I don't want to paint this out. Well, they, people do consider neurodivergence, autism, uh, ADHD, OCD, these things to be, they're called disorders. I hate that word, but if you really want to take it apart, I don't know that there's a judgment. There's not supposed to, there's no inherent judgment there. It's just sort of saying it's atypical, right? Saying there's an average, and this lies outside the average. There's really not a judgment there. Uh, but unfortunately, there is, because we do judge people that are different, which is why I'm doing this and why you know, all of this makes perfect sense to me, because having felt different my whole life, all of a sudden, here is a mechanism and a, and a gateway and a conduit and an identity for people who have always felt like that, with an explanation that says there's nothing wrong with you and it's okay. Uh, but I'm not trying to say that, woe is me, I'm a snowflake, look at all of us different people, all of you neurotypicals have it so easy, like that's not the point here. The point is simply to identify this, to call it out, and to say, you know, it's like at, at one time, it only mattered in the world if you were a white male. And I think over the last couple hundred years, we've at least realized a little bit that Maybe other people are important too. Maybe women are important. Maybe people with a different skin color are important. Maybe young people are also important. Maybe older people are also important, not just like 50-year-old white men, right? So this is the same thing. Diversity is key. It is imperative that we live in a world that embraces our uniqueness. It's like people used to, you know, again... This all goes back to my PhD defense when uh, somebody asked me why biodiversity was important. This is why, <laughs> you know, because we're not supposed to all be the same. Without diversity, we got the sameness, right? We've got clones. And the, the reason asexual reproduction became, uh, you know, really not important or, or we're sort of like selected against through time, because at some point, most organisms switched over to sexual reproduction. There's some still around that do it that way, is because when you reproduce asexually, you make clones. When you make clones, you make individuals that are eating, living in, using the same resources as you, and so you create competition with your progeny. What could be worse? You know, having to let your kid eat the sandwich and die <laughs> because you eat the same thing or creating a kid that actually might like apricot jelly and you like grape jelly. So, hey, there's plenty to go around, right? Same thing with diversity. If we all end up being the same and anything major changes in our environment, on our earth, in our universe, we're all going to die. At least this way, and this is the point of sexual reproduction, right? Diversity is life. Anything that doesn't promote, embrace, whatever you want to say, allow at the minimum for diversity should be questioned, right? Conformity in this sense is bad, right? And I get it. I get it. I get it. There's lots of different reasons to try and make us all similar. 
I mean, we get along. It's easier for us to get along. We might not fight as much. How's that working out? We're easier to control. How's that working out? You know? I get it. Like, some of the conspiracy theories, they aren't really theories because they're just conspiracies, but they're not, they're not even conspiracies because it's true. The military education system in the United States wants to produce good consumers who will earn money to buy stuff to keep the economy going. That is a conformity machine. And that's what we were all rebelling against, right? In the first place, you know? Fly your freak flag. There's all these different sort of um, rebellions against conformity. Well, there's a reason for that. It's a biological imperative that we support, embrace, and promote diversity. Now, I'm not just talking about hiring a token black guy at work. You know, that's the not a solution. <laughs> the solution, and I think autism neurodivergence is a fantastic vehicle for this, is to recognize the variation around the mean. The mean is great, but it's like, the, it's the low-hanging fruit. It's easy to sort of say, most American men like American football. Chances are, if you want to sell beer, you can turn it into a football commercial. Or if you want to advertise football, you can put beer. You know, people are going to adhere to a norm. And, it's, and, and, and you're going to get like, what, 40 to 60% of the people in that norm. But if all you do is support that, you're going to lose the fringes. And if you lose the fringes, we're going to lose diversity. And if we lose diversity, we're going to lose our capacity to adapt and change with the world, which is a fundamental, one of the most fundamental elements of life. You just can't do that. And so in Darwin's language, being neurodiverse is being fit, right? Being average, you know, if, 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 (laughs) if a nuclear laser beam is invented that can come out of a TV set and they put it in a football game, normal people are all going to die, <laughs> right? Who's going to be left? The, the guys that are out birding and the gals that are crocheting on the couch, you know, or, or people playing video games or doing uh, any number of other things. And I hate to pick on football. I'm just using that as an example. You could think of any number of other things. If people watching Friends or like something that, nor- that, that, that is very common, right? If, if we only focus on the easy stuff, the easy to identify, and, 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 it's, and I say easy because people do like to identify, people like same, other, attracts other, right? It's easier for me maybe to feel more comfortable talking to somebody that looks like me or that also has a seven-year-old daughter. You know, the more we have in common, the fewer barriers to interaction there are. Um, and so it, it, that's going to be easier to do always. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the least amount of effort. It's going to be so much easier to be normal. It's like, I, I, hope, I hope this isn't a terrible example, and I apologize ahead of time if it is, but when people used to say um, that people were being gay, you know, just because they wanted to be different or, you know, that it wasn't really biological and they were just doing it on purpose, I used to think, why would a person willingly invite all of that, uh, I don't know what the word is, negative attention on themselves if they didn't really mean it, right? Why would somebody 
want, you know, invite mistreatment by identifying themselves as being atypical in any sense, you know, gender, race, religion. Why? Because you're basically painting a target on your back for bullies. And so it's a lot easier just to be normal. And I, and I think it's time has come, and I think it's happening, and that's, again, why I'm sort of embracing this movement and hoping to, you know, be a part of it, um, because people are starting to get tired of that. And, and it's getting to be okay to be on the fringes. And uh, instead of being on the fringes separately, <laughs> we can be on the fringes together. And I don't mean that in a, why do all nonconformists look the same? kind of way. Think about that, right? It did kind of happen. Like everybody on the fringes, we, we don't want to just create another normal. The point here is to do this right, is to recognize that we're different, to embrace that it might be awkward, but, that, but, but, but not to try to take an average and, and meet in the middle, but to meet us where we are and, and to sort of collectively be okay with that because that is fitness in a Darwinian sense. That is going to make us a healthy population of homo sapiens. It's going to prepare our species for whatever comes next. It's going to give us the best chance of survival. This is how we're going to figure out solutions to our problems. I can't make it any more clear than that. Part of the reason biodiversity is so important, it's like people used to say, you probably heard this, we want to protect the coral reefs because there's some species of coral may have in it um, an animal or a gene or something that cures cancer, right? So it's important for us to protect diversity because there might be these solutions, but that's a very selfish kind of human way. And I guess I'm kind of saying the same thing, but it's more of a, what, do, what does this diversity and uniqueness bring to the table that makes us all better? Because I can guarantee you that by suppressing the expression of those genes, of those unique attributes of humanity, is not doing anybody any good. At the very least, it's hurting that individual. And at the very worst, it's hurting all of us. And I'm not doing that anymore. And, and, and I think, I really think I've discovered autism as a, as a vehicle uh, to do this. And I, and I hope you're picking up when I'm laying down. So yeah, actually, comma, autistic? Question? <laughs> actually autistic. I'm Chris Bircher. This has been Actually Autistic. Knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Episode 156. Autism is fitness in Darwin's language. I look forward to the next one. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.